It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello. Today, our speaker is Vince Stewart, and we're going to be chatting about um, getting started in water search and rescue. So first, Vince, can you tell us something about yourself? Well, I've, um, I've been involved in search and rescue since uh, 1995. I started out as a, a ground pounder with the fire department, and then I incorporated dogs in 1997. Um, I've been in the medical field since the mid-60s. I've been training dogs since the 60s. I'm on my fourth set of search and rescue dogs. I had five in the past, and I currently have three. They're all certified. Uh, I've got one water, uh, one trailing, one area, and all three are land and uh, cadaver. And then um, in 2015, uh, the set of dogs that I had then and I were honored by receiving the Arkansas Senate Citation for the work that um, we had done in search and rescue. I'm um, an evaluator for AKC. I'm an EMT. I'm a coroner for our county. I'm a special deputy with the Little River County Sheriff's Office for 19 years. Secretary of the Little River County First Responder Association, Secretary of the Little River County Fire and Emergency Management Board with uh, Homeland Security, a board member of the Little River County Emergency Preparedness Program with Homeland Security, a board, man, a board member and canine coordinator of the Southwest Arkansas Task Force, member and uh, canine hand, handler for Howard County, which is another county over, uh, canine handler, well, with our Sheriff's Department, I told you that a while ago. I'm SARTEC 2, uh, NSD certified with some of my dogs. Um, I am a deputy coordinator for the Office of Emergency Management for our county. I'm HAZMAT level 2, operations level, trained advanced storm spotter and certified cameo operator. I have several of the NIMS certifications and evaluator for AKC. And I currently teach the pause in, pause in prison program at one of our prisons uh, in our state. So, so it sounds um, like when you do, do, do something, you do it all the way. You bet. Any time I'm going to do something, do it right. So, let's say a handler says, you know, I'd like to train my dog to do water search. What would be the kinds of things that the dog would need to know before starting? Um, water search well first off in my years of experience you really need to be proficient in land cadaver first um mm -hmm. before you even you know start them on water and then when you get you know comfortable with that you need to have your dog uh comfortable in riding in a boat before you start training for the uh source search and then um working on shoreline first in shallow water I, that's really helped my dog to understand that it can come from water too and not just 
um, you know, be on land and so and be hidden. <laughs> it's, it's not always <laughs> right there. <laughs> you can't just touch the source usually. So um, that has helped a lot. Knowing your water hydraulics is very, very important. Um, it could actually save your life, honestly. And then um, evidence preservation, um, teaching your dog, you know, not to destroy um, evidence. So uh, that's some of the main things that that I, you know, recommend that you get into before you even think about water. And then, you know, I, I prepared a bunch of questions about handler preparation because when I was looking up things for this talk, I was I found out a lot of skills that a handler really should have, not just in search and rescue, but other general skills and safety training specific to water search. Yeah. <laughs> um, so well, would you like to go over some of the, the skills a handler should have? Well, I, my, anything I um, teach, I always instill that safety is your number one priority, Safe, uh, self-safety. And, you know, so if you don't have that, you can't help anybody else if you get in trouble. So you definitely should know how to swim. <laughs> so um, you just have to have a life jacket <laughs> before you get on the boat. But still, you know, you can still get in trouble if you can't swim and know how to handle all of that. Um, to me, um, my group is required in my county when we do boat things, we have to take a, a boater safety class. And to me, that's real important because at some point, you don't know if you're going to have to drive that boat or not. Um, and it's not your boat, but still, you know, something could happen to the driver and get sick or or whatever. And uh, you really need to know boater safety. And also, you know, when you're in the front of that boat, sometimes you see obstacles or something that, the driver can't see, and you have to point that out to him where you don't, you know, run over a log under the, you know, just run under the surface of the water or whatever. So those are two of the main things that I, you know, recommend. Mm -hmm. If you were going to get yeah. in my boat, you would have those. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting because I once took a, a basic introduction to sailing course, and, and I still don't know how to sail, but one of the people in the class, she really didn't want to learn to sail, but her husband knew how to sail, and they owned a sailboat. He said, well, listen, you really have to be able to sail if anything ever happens to me if we're out together. Right. You've got to be able to get us back. So that was exactly the point you're making. And, wow. you know, one of the hazards that uh, to be aware of, I um, read about, and it kind of resonated because of my own experience with a uh, loose line hazard. And... I guess you usually are on bigger boats, so we talked about how that maybe applies more to people who are in something like a kayak or a canoe that might tip over. But if, if you've got a line attached to your boat, you don't want to leave it loose where if you fall over, it's just dangling in the water to wrap around you and, and drag you someplace. So. Yeah, most of these boats, the bigger boats, have a tie-off rope um, at the very front, and we just pull it over into the boat because... It, uh, some of those are long enough to actually get into the propeller if they yeah, want to drag, you know, through the water. So uh, that's always whoever the last man on board throws the rope in uh, as he's pushing, you know, the boat off the shore. So, and that's another hazard that I I have to watch uh, or you need to watch to make sure your dog doesn't get tangled up in it while he's working 
or you mm-hmm. either one, if, you know, because you're working in front of that boat, and it's just kind of mm-hmm. coiled up there on the edge uh, yeah. in the bottom. So you have to, you do have to be, you know, aware that it's there. Kind of like your headphone cord always seems to get tangled up. <laughs> a lot bigger. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. What are some gears? Well, you know, if you trip and fall, it doesn't guarantee you're going to fall in the bottom of the boat. I mean, you can easily yeah. fall overboard. So. Yeah, that's true. Yep. So what would be some gear that uh, you mentioned? Everybody's got to have a PFD. Uh, what are some other gear people would bring? You know, my, um, the rule on my boat is handler and dog both have to have a, a PFD before they can get on my boat. Mm-hmm. Mainly on the dog is a safety thing. We have... Um, a massive amount of alligators where I work. And this whole region that I work, I work like five different counties, I mean uh, states, I'm sorry, um, on water work. And we have a lot of waterways, but they are, they're massively filled with alligators. <laughs> so if a dog does fall over, which it happens, um, you have an easier route to get them back on the boat quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't leave them in, you know, any longer than we have to. So um, that and um, I always like a water thermometer. If you can't, you know, if you don't have one of those or forget it or something, you can always do your ambient temperature uh, calculations to get water temperature. And then um, you need some kind of device. Um, I take my phone with me uh, to get your like your temperature and humidity and wind, um, mm-hmm. how that's working, uh, notepad and pen, you know, to write your information down. You do need a waterproof container. That's what I keep my phone in when I'm not using it. Um, mm-hmm. A GPS to make waypoints. I don't use markers at all, and I'll get into that a little bit further down. But um, you either need, um, most of the time, whoever is on um, captain of the boat, will have their GPS um, equipment on board where they can mark your waypoints for you where your dog alerts. Mm-hmm. And those are important to have. And then um, I carry, I, I do a lot of lot of water work, and I found through the years those boat decks get so hot in the summertime and it burns your, your dog's feet. They just can't stay up there working uh, like they need to. So um, I put booties on mine, and then I also mm-hmm. carry towels to uh, wet and cool the deck. I'll just, you know, wet the towel and throw it up on the deck, and it cools mm-hmm. it down quite a bit. So um, I've even carried umbrellas for my dogs. <laughs> okay. And, um, yes. So, you know, something. <laughs> but it's safety <laughs> things, you know. And, yeah. and if it gets just way too hot, we call the search tool later, you know. Um, until it cools down, but yeah. See, I'm in a much cooler climate, so it's not too often yeah. that it can happen that we get a hot sunny day. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> it, it happens. I tell you, <laughs> that would be nice, but no, we yeah. <laughs> we pray for cool days. So, yeah. uh, and you know, one of the reminders on there is one that I think any of us that I things I look through is for any of us who wear eyeglasses, it's probably a good idea to have croquis or something similar that's going to hold your eyeglasses on. I have yeah. some that are, that are yellow. And, and, <laughs> yeah, 
I have some that are yellow and float, so that if my glasses do right. get up, there's a chance I'll find them again. <laughs> the same yeah, thing I'm, I made. I'm donating a few pair myself. My dog's uh, PFD. Man, my dog's PFD is a is a bright color, and one of the dogs I had years ago, I had on a boat one day, and somebody else looked at me and they go, "Why is your dog wearing a life jacket? Doesn't your dog know how to swim?" I said, well, yeah, she knows how to swim, but, you know, I know how to swim, too, but I don't want to unexpectedly fall in and not have my TFD on. Um, That's true. Are there there some things that people should leave on shore because they're going to get lost, broken, or not be helpful? Any specific things you've seen people try to bring that you just should leave behind? Well, uh, the reason I didn't list some things to go on the boat is you don't want any more things on the boat than you have to have. I have a waterproof bag, and it's a big, like a two-foot-tall bag, and that's what I put all my, my PFDs and waterproof uh, thing in, and I've just got that one little thing, and I can put it in the back of the boat where it's not up front where it's a hazard for my dog or me mm-hmm. or you know, something. So you don't want to put anything else in the boat that you're not going to use on the boat. So uh, saying that, like if you want to take extra clothes, if you get wet, um, wintertime, sometimes you might need, you know, extra clothes. Sometimes you need to shed some clothes. Um, Sometimes if you um, spring a leak in your boot, you know, your feet are going to get wet, so you might want to take extra shoes. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's always good to have... um, you know, your extra food for your dogs just in case you stay longer than you anticipated. And then that way they'll have supper or whatever. And then, uh, you know, your water for your dogs, you want fresh. You don't want to feed them out of the lake or river necessarily. Yeah. You know, another, another, you know, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I think that around here in cold weather, you might want to bring her some of those little chemical hand warmers that you take them out of the packet yeah. and they warm up because you can put them if your dog has got a jacket vest whatever you can put them inside if your dog's mm-hmm. cold you put them in your dog's vest and warm them up right and, uh, we we did that a few times camping in the cold weather in the past couple of years <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, we i usually you know i've had five layers on before working river <laughs> start so you know but when you get that wind chill going on you, it gets pretty cold. So what are, well, be some right. techniques. Uh, let's say the worst does happen and, you know, either you fall out, the boat capsizes, there's some unexpected disaster. What can you do to um, help yourself to, to try and what, if the worst <laughs> happens and you fall in? I'm going <laughs> to go for the dog. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, And I will make sure my dog's okay. That would be on my top list. But, uh, you know, first, like you say, you need to to see what has happened. If just say the boat capsizes or if you fall out and and, uh, the boat's still going, you need to make sure you're, you know, seen or out of the way, uh, that they know you fell out. Um, And and then uh, make sure that, you know, if there's other boaters on the the lake too, uh, to yeah. make yourself visible, because um, yeah. that's happened before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I would definitely go for my dog next, definitely. And that reminded me, actually, of something I'd forgotten 
until now, but it's a, a true but sad story that happened to someone I, I worked with once. Um, he went out boating at, with a, a grandchild, and the grandchild was wearing a life jacket, but he wasn't. And mm-hmm. the kid fell in the water, and so he just, you know, without thinking, just jumped in to rescue the child, and he didn't have on a life jacket. He didn't cut the engine of the boat, so the boat sped sped off. Um, he ended up drowning. The child got rescued, but uh, but he he drowned because he had not you know he not really thought about what he would do, so he just panicked, jumped out, and didn't and oh, left the boat gosh. running. So. And see, nine times out of ten, the boat will start circling. Right. It just and you know run over somebody. So it's a wonder yeah. that you know it's a big blessing that that grandchild didn't get run over. Yeah, I mean, there's. I know I've read about uh, you know cases around here because there are lots of lakes and a lot of boaters uh, that happens or people either you know they circle around either the boat circles around and hits them or they circle around too close to somebody they're picking up who's water skiing yeah. or being towed on the tube. And you know, we, there's also a lot of hazards that you'd encounter on water that you know places where you know a victim might wind up but a handler needs to know about so that they don't become a victim too can you talk about some of the some of the hazards that are specific to water i can and i've actually worked all of these um we do we we have a lot of river or waterways up here or down here and so i've actually unfortunately worked um all of these that i'm going to mention one is a low head dam um we had a uh a dad and I call them babies, excuse me, a five and a seven-year-old uh, go off of one of those. The um, the dad was rescued that day the or that night. The seven-year-old was rescued early that next morning, and then I kept up with the five-year-old. He got hung up in the um, turbulence, the washing machine, the death machine, they call it, the drowning machine. Um this happened on a Sunday afternoon late, and it finally kicked him out the next Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was, you know, hung up till that whole time. Yeah, so um, tell, me, tell my listeners what's happening with the currents around the dam and that might look really calm and serene. When you go, this dam, um, you know, it can be, like, uh, short. It can be a small one, or it can be up to like 10 feet or so, and what they're doing is, is kind of pooling some water upstream. Mm-hmm. But the current, the force of that water um, is so ferocious. 12 inches, if you take a 12-inch cube of water and pressurize it to um, the pounds per square inch, one pound per square inch, it mm-hmm. has 864 pounds of force to it. Wow. And a 36-inch cube done the same way has 7,776 pounds of force to it. So Mm -hmm. people underestimate the power of water. They take water for granted. Um, It's liquid. You can run through it. You can do whatever. But when it's in a forceful uh, run, then you just better not mess with it. uh, Mm -hmm. If you were to fall off above the dam, it would just pin you to that wall. You just couldn't mm-hmm. get out. Um, so when you go over it, <clears throat> you've got several things happening. 
you've got the water that's that's running off of the ledge straight down, and then you run into this backwash. And what it does, it's got a like a boil um, section to it, and it's just boiling and boiling and boiling, and it, it backwashes and pushes you down to the bottom of the the dam. And there's only one escape route. It's on the very, very bottom, and it is very possible that you would never get kicked out. Uh, it can hold you indefinitely. Um, when we, I was working this one, you know, here I'd been here a week, and all of a sudden a tire would pop up 30 feet. And then later a, a big old tree... Um, trunk, long tree trunk would pop up that had not come down river. They had just been in there for several days that I know of. Um, so we had to, you know, just kind of wait, hopefully, you know, and praying that it would kick this little boy out. We sent divers down mm-hmm. and, there, of course, that water makes a huge hole uh, on the ground, too, and it collects. Uh, that's mm-hmm. where things stay. And then, so that's why it's not it's hard to get it up into that kick-out spot. Um, and, it, and it's the same thing pretty much that happens with a waterfall, too. You know, there's going to be this beautiful pool at the base right. of the waterfall that deceptively looks like a great place to swim, but people get into trouble. <laughs> I think the same yep. mechanism. You know, it can definitely happen that way. Mm-hmm. And then, um, let's see. The entrapments is, you know, mm-hmm. anything you can get hung on, um, like a tree that's fallen into yeah. the water. And mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't look bad, but the water will force you down in the tree, and then you might get to a spot that you can't get through the limbs. Mm-hmm. And then that water is going to hold you in that tree under the water. Mm-hmm. So it's um, basically, a, you know, what a strainer is then. And I guess there's also the risk of, you know, if you're walking and you can't see what's on the bottom, your foot gets caught in the current. Uh, you talked about how much water, how much force there is in the current. People can just get uh, trapped that way because, you know, some part of their, their foot or some other place is snagged on something and the water is pushing them so they're, they, can't, they can't get free. Well, that, that happens sometimes with your cushions. Um, the Tissues are kind of like on the edge where mm-hmm. it collects the water up against, say, a big rock or something. But if you you might not be able to see that cushion because that rock may have, uh, and this goes in with your ledges, mm-hmm. um, you'll get pushed up under that rock and then the water's holding you in. Mm-hmm. Um, or it'll like make you fall down as you're going through there and you start going through, say, two rocks, and you get so far in there, and it, you know, you can't get out, mm-hmm. um, and you get hung up, so, and then eddies, eddies are quite different, <laughs> um, they have water going over them, but then they also have water coming back to them, and um, bodies search for calm water, um, and an eddy will produce that kind of on the back side. So eddies are real good places if they if the body can't make it to the shorelines then for the calm waters, 
um, a lot of times it'll it'll hang up in that that calm part of the eddy. But eddies are, like I say, they're rotating water too, so they're they're pretty dangerous. Um, I keep picturing our rivers. We have one of the most unforgiving rivers ever, the Red River, and it it plays no mercy on anybody. Um, one one time I was working it, and we were going back to the boat ramp for a little bit, and all of a sudden the whole back end of my boat just went down and then popped back up. And I looked wow. at my driver, and I'm like, what the heck was that? And he said it was a suck hole. And see, we didn't see it going in it, but yet it sucked the back of my boat down. And wow. I'm like, get me to the shore. <laughs> get me off of this river now. And that is the only time. I never recreation on this. You know, we have a lot of fishermen that, that that's grown up on this river, and they say, oh, I know this river. I'm sure you do know it to a certain extent, but rivers are always changing. You can't yeah. ever say, I know this river. Um, yeah. You know a lot about the river, probably, but um, rivers are constantly changing. So uh, that's a you know a bad hazard to uh, yeah, have to work through. And it's they have so it. many different uh, water patterns, the way they flow mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't know your water hydraulics, you're just kind of kind of mm-hmm. in a pickle, or could get in a pickle really quick. Uh, especially, I always, when I go on a surf scene on a river, um, I say a prayer before I go that game and fish will be there. Because mm-hmm. they know the rivers more than, uh, you know, you get your local fire departments a lot of times. Uh, they'll help, you know, drive a boat or uh, whatever. But I always try to get with game and fish because I trust their maneuverability on the rivers more than just... Um, I know one time we had a kid drowned, and it took us uh, it took us what was it two hours to get like just a couple of miles up the river because it was so bad, and it was so night time. So, so the boat driver is a real skill. You need somebody oh, you um, bet. with a lot of skill. You bet. And, and you know, and back to the dogs. I read that there was kind of three components to teaching the dog. Somebody, one thing I read broke it down is you know to teach a dog. Well, human scent can come from the water. Um, to teach a dog to be able to work while riding in a, a boat. And we talked touched a little bit on that. And maybe I don't know if that ever happens that your dog works while swimming in the water. But as far as teaching a dog that the scent comes from under the water, how do you how do you do that? Well, there's um, a few ways. Like I say, I always start mine out um, on shoreline. I've got um, I've got a little creek in my backyard, and that's where I started uh, my guys. Uh, you want it shallow enough that they can wade out in there, and you know, locate the scent, um, and then they play around. They they'll look at you very confused, like. It's here, but I can't see it like they can on land. You know, they can finally see the stuff on land. Um, but you just keep, you know, working them, and they finally understand, and then they'll end up getting to where they'll indicate or alert uh, mm-hmm. on the source. Uh, so that's one way. The creeks and like a shallow pond, maybe just on the shorelines. Mm-hmm. Um, the Another thing you can do is... Put your dog in the boat on dry land 
and put the scent or the source under the boat. Okay. And they learn to uh, dip that head over, you know, looking for the scent. Um, okay. And so that's another deal. And then um, that's pretty much my ways that I start mine out on water. And then mm-hmm. I'll take them, I take them riding in the boat. Don't take any scent stuff with me at all. We just, you know, see how they're going to do. Um, some dogs, it doesn't take, you know, near as long to get them comfortable riding in a boat as it does others. So depending on your dog, how soon yeah. you can start, uh, you know, putting source out. And I still kind of, by the time they've learned to dip that head and, you know, that scent does come from underneath, um, mm-hmm. they work that pretty good. Uh, when I put stuff out, I do two or three different things. Um, one, I've got a reel that I, you know, reel out and put my stuff down as deep as I want to and as far out as I want to. Nothing shows whatsoever. It's like a drowned thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have used the scent generator in the past, mm-hmm. but um, I'm not real fond of that. There's just too many things that can go wrong or it's a lot of pain to set it up for one <laughs> take it with you and set it yeah. up and all that. Um you, so I do you want, I take you the want, easier route. <laughs> so do I tell um, my my listeners what a scent generator is? A scent generator, yes, it's uh you've got like a a regular generator that you would run your house with. I uh, mm-hmm. have a little bitty bitty one. Um and you run like a You've got a container on that that will hold your uh, source, and then you've got an air pressure, like airing up your tires with. Um, I made a homemade one, and it was really simple. It was uh, economical and easy to tote and carry um, and use, actually. But And then you run, uh, you've got like your uh, clear tubing that you run from that out into the water. You have to weight it down. And then when you turn it on, uh, you've got a regulator on it that you can control your air pressure. Mm-hmm. And you want just as few bubbles as possible because you don't want your dog looking for the bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want the scent coming up. And then, you know, you work your dog off of that. So it's not actually putting scent in the water. It's mm-hmm. still on the or the source, actually. Uh, you're putting scent in the water, sorry. Your source is not in the water. So mm-hmm. um, that's one way to do that. And uh, like I say, you have to um, weight your tubing down mm-hmm. and it gets hung in. These are some of the pros and cons. It gets hung up in weeds sometimes when you're trying to get it back out. And uh, some yeah. people use. Um, and I never, I don't agree with this, uh, and it's just difference of opinions on training. Um, they use a scent machine, and they have a bobber, an orange bobber on it, and they want that dog to see that orange bobber, and they'll bob it up and down and up and down. And I don't agree with that because I don't want my dog looking for something. I want it to mm-hmm. use its nose and all its eyes. Yes, and. Um, they're going to get now. When I I have trained with markers before, those little orange fishing H looking things, mm-hmm. but I'll put like five of them out, and the dog has to tell me exactly which one it is. Okay. So, so that's not actually 
training on a visual thing because he's having to use his nose. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that, that would be the only way that I would, you know, do markers. Uh, so it's kind of like when, when people are training cadaver and they put out a whole bunch of identical containers and only one has the source in it. Right. The same idea. Exactly. And, and like your imprint stuff, you know, when you start first start a puppy, you might put uh, six concrete blocks out and only one of them has yeah. the stuff, you know. So, yeah, same principle. but they And they're far enough apart. Um, I'll just run them down the river or I'll get a big cove or something and they're far enough apart that, and I set it up and work it uh, like it would be on a regular drowning, different grids, you know, different ways. And um, like I say, they have to pinpoint that particular uh, buoy. So, and you know, um, around around here, at least, even though I've never done cadaver, I do have a few little cadaver sources in my freezer, and you know, it's kind of hard getting stuff. And people get things like. Uh, piece of, of some placenta or I had a dentist you know, who gave me some teeth that he'd pull. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So, you know, so everything's pretty valuable and I keep thinking, well, if I did water search and I put it in the water, isn't it just going to be a disgusting, soggy mess? How, how do you handle that? <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, we'll say placenta because um, that seems to be a, a popular training source that I have discovered um, and finally got my hands on some. Um, my, my granddaughter was, or my, my daughter-in-law was too grossed out. She would not say the placenta when my granddaughter was born. I do actually have one of my granddaughters. So um, anyway, well, what I do is I take that placenta and I stick it in a um, a stocking, like a pair of pantyhose, mm-hmm. down in, into the leg, and you know, cut it off and tie it off real good. And then I also put it in a little soot cage, um, mm-hmm. like that you feed birds with, okay. before I put it into the water. That kind of helps. It holds the placenta together, and then it also keeps uh, some varmints from eating on it. So do you and have to dry it out afterwards or, you know, after you what it I, out, what do you do? No, I, what I do is I, I drain it really good to get the water off and mm-hmm. then uh, put it back in its container and I keep mine in the freezer. Okay. I have okay. a just a freezer just for that stuff. So, um, okay. and then next time, by the time I take it out and get to where I'm going, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's thawed out to use again. Now, over mm-hmm. time, you know, and I've had these things for several years uh over time any of your stuff is gonna disintegrate you know it's just a process that you go through uh even if it never touched water it would eventually you know Uh but it it just keeps a lot longer if you'll take care of it Uh um and um what about, you know, somebody's thinking, I'd like to do water search, but I don't own a boat. Is there going to be feasible? Is there going to be a way for them to work around that and still train their dogs well, if they don't have their own boat? The, the only thing is if you don't have your own boat, then you motorbike buddies with somebody that does. Um, <laughs> because you have to have a boat to do water work. Um, yeah. You know, if you're going to get in the open water and on, on the rivers, if you're going to do more than a shoreline, yes, you have to have, mm-hmm. 
about to work out of. Um, mm-hmm. Now, when you go on a search, you do not have to have your boat uh, mm-hmm. because somebody is, they've already arranged that for you. But now, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the thing you need to be aware of when you're using somebody else's boat, um, especially in the winter when it's cold, uh, you know, your scent lays real low. And mm-hmm. if you get a boat that sits too high up off the the water, they can miss that scent. Okay. It's not getting up to them. So uh, try to get in as low to the water, the deck of the boat, as low to the water as you can. Uh, mm-hmm. I've had to switch boats before because I knew uh, my dog had worked it the same for several days, and then all of a sudden he wasn't doing nothing. And I'm like... Mm-hmm. I've got to change boats, and when we did, he went right to work and was doing, you know, mm-hmm. working. So mm-hmm. that's something you really need to um, pay close attention to. And you need to learn all that stuff. It's like all your, uh, what your scent does, um, why it does it, what causes it to do this, why it doesn't do that. Uh, mm-hmm. That's very important, you know, to, to know all of that stuff. But if you're proficient on land, you should already know all that. Mm-hmm. It works the same mm-hmm. on water. Mm-hmm. It's just in water. So, um, mm-hmm. okay. And um, anyway. you, you mentioned about you know people might inadvertently cue their dog if they use um, some kind of marker mm-hmm. and they just have one marker. Are there any other common errors or pitfalls you've seen beginners make when they're training their dog in, in water search? Well, what I see. Um, you know, one thing you're talking about the markers. Let's address that right quick because uh, at some point we had talked about um, like if me and you and Susie is going to go search this, you know, water for a drowned victim, I'll go out and we talked about putting a marker down, and then you coming out and putting a marker down, and then Susie coming out. That's not a good idea at all. You don't want to put any kind of uh, notion in your next handler's head <laughs> because it's so easy to feed off of that. So what I do is I, that's what I use those waypoints for, uh, marking with a GPS of what my mm-hmm. dog did. And then you go out and, and I tell you nothing of what my dog has done because mm-hmm. we want a fair, fair search from you and your dog. And then... At the end, when Susie's through, then all three of us will get together with the whoever's in charge and compare what our dogs have done. And then mm-hmm. that way we can see, you know, who's doing what. Um, so, no, I'm, you definitely don't want to do markers. Now, you do need to learn to um, get you some marker points on land when your dog, you know, you get your GPS thing, but you still it's good to do uh, like tr- a tree or some a big rock or something that you see on the bank to line mm-hmm. up with. Um, it's good to do that too so you can kind of keep up with where you were mm-hmm. when you're so not there. indicated. So, um, and, but yes, that's what I think about buoys. And what about, you know, strategy? I mean, one of the things that when I first started and I did air scent, it was, thinking, okay, I know how to put these different little pieces together, but now I've just been handed, you know, a, a search block. How do I actually work this? So what kind of strategy, let's say you're working, doing a shoreline search, what kind of factors would 
would weigh into your strategy of how you're going to approach that search? Well, first off, when you first get there, you know, the very first thing you need to do is have a meeting with whichever law enforcement's in charge and maybe um, eyewitnesses, if there are any, Mm -hmm. um, and find out, you know, where he was last seen, uh, what the water conditions are, temperatures of the water, the direction of current, does it have an undercurrent? A lot of times you've got currents going one way underneath the water and the top layer will be going another way. Uh, your wind can be, you know, going different directions than your current. Or they might, you might look out and they go the same way, but that's very unusual. Um, you need to get all of your statistics together. Mm-hmm. And then go to the shore. Don't take your dog. Um, go down there and evaluate things. Um, assess, you know, are you going to have brush that's in your way? Are you going to be able to work the shore um, easily? Uh, is your dog going to be able to get out in the water at all? If not, um, you know, and if I'm working a river and I do kind of a, a short shoreline, which is very unusual, but it has happened, I put... Um, of course, the life jacket and me and my dog have life jackets on. And then I also put a long lead on my dog. And then that way, if he was to get in trouble and slip in or not be able to get back at current got him or something, I could get him out. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, like I say, you can't work it if you don't have any statistics at all and, you know, of what has happened. So... You know, get all of that, and then and then assess, and then take your dog down, and mm-hmm. uh, see how you can work it. And you okay. might have to change plans once you get your dog down there because it just might not work out like you thought it might. You know, mm-hmm. your dog might not be able to do what you thought he might could do. So, okay. um, and two, one thing I have learned, and I I made notes somewhere down in through here about this, but um. Oh, I think uh, it was on, uh, well, let me finish this right quick. The shoreline, you know, Mm -hmm. the reason you want to work shoreline sometimes is you can, even though you work the boat, you can still work shoreline with that, and you can Mm -hmm. compare, and it uh, it should line up to your source. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one is if it's too dangerous to get a boat in the water, like if you've got floodwaters and stuff. And you don't, you can't get a boat in there. Then mm-hmm. you know you can work, still work from the shore sometimes. And then sometimes your waterway is too small for a boat. You might have a small mm-hmm. pond or a canal or a creek uh, that you're searching, and you can't use you know the boat. So that's just some other options on shoreline. Uh, mm-hmm. The the one thing that we kind of went over was what somebody I'm sure might could detect to help the searcher in the water. When I'm working a water scene with a boat, I try my best to clear the banks of family and friends and bystanders Mm -hmm. and all of that because dogs are real easily distracted. And when you've got 50 people standing up there talking and moving around and all, the dogs are, you know, they're going to be curious as to what they're doing. And they're not going to work fairly like I want them to. So, and family, you know, they're they're real easily to oblige you if you just go explain to them 
what mm-hmm. what you're doing because they want to see. But you yeah, know, uh, if um if you explain to them what you're doing, how you're doing it, and that you know the dog really can't do a you know his full potential with everybody down so close to the water, if they will just back up quite a bit. Uh, they could possibly still see, but they'll oblige you to do that because they want you to find, you know, their loved one. So that's one thing I do is, is try to get those. I don't want anybody up on the banks roaming around <laughs> when I'm working my dog. Now, when I get back off the, you know, off the water, then they can do what they want to. Um, mm-hmm. But now, also, that's something that you can keep in mind, too, when you get called out to a, a water search, a lot of people have already walked those banks looking, hoping that they, you know, made it to the bank or was just hurt and they're laying there or something. So mm-hmm. those banks have already been walked pretty good. Ask that in, in into uh, your questions at the very beginning when you first get there and you're assessing everything and, and mm-hmm. drawing all your information. Ask that question too. Has anybody ever, you know, walked the banks yet or whatever, and then you'll find, well, we didn't see any footprints or, or you know, yes, we did see some footprints. Um, we found a lunch bag, you know, just different things. So that way mm-hmm. you can keep that in your mind when you're working that, but also don't let it take over because that might not be Johnny's footprints. <laughs> Lots of people mm-hmm. go to the river, you know, so mm-hmm. um, just, just kind of put it in a, a bag in the back of your brain. To mm-hmm. have it in case it does. So, but anyway, my my main thing there is to have clear banks where the dogs can fairly work to their okay. you know full potential. And what about you know we switch over to open water? One question I had is, let's say your dog has been trained to do a refine on land, but obviously in a boat that doesn't work. <laughs> so no, not very well. Um, <laughs> so. Okay. Now, over the years, this is what I do. And when I, you know, things that I'm saying here, these are my findings. Um, mm-hmm. And my findings are not in concrete. It's what works for you and your dog. And mm-hmm. that's what I, you know, anytime I train a dog or whatever, I'm, that's my theory. Is And if that doesn't work, we'll try something else. But what has worked for me the best I don't do a refine except for in live area. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else, like cadaver, uh, trailing, mm-hmm. of course, you're on the lead. You know, I mean, you're right there with your dog. But when mm-hmm. I'm working cadaver on land or boat, but especially on land, mm-hmm. I want my dog closer. I don't want him ranging out of sight. I want to be able mm-hmm. to see him because, you know, on a live thing, your dog, he finds the, the person and he comes back and he tells you and then he takes you back. And, well, that doesn't happen with the cadaver stuff that that I like because every cadaver situation can be different. Um, it's mm-hmm. not like a live find. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it may be a huge source that scares the crap out of your dog and he won't say a word and he won't go up to it and he'll stretch and, you know, you mm-hmm. have to be able to read your dog. Well, if you can't see your dog, how are you going to read your dog and mm-hmm. know that he's actually found something? Um, mm-hmm. So I keep my dogs within maybe 20 feet of me mm-hmm. while I'm working. And then that way, if you need to uh, find detail something or um, mark something and come back to it later or whatever the case, you know, you've got your dog there and you can see 
because um, I've had, like, my um, dog that I had to put down, mm-hmm. when he um, was working on his, uh, and I'm going to say normal loosely because I always try to instill in people don't ever expect the norm because it will bite you in the butt every time. Because <laughs> um, I have more people go, well, well, my dog sits every time. Well, no, then you've probably missed some stuff <laughs> because your dog is not going to sit every single time. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. some dogs sit, some down, some touch, some scratch the heck out of it and ruin it, uh, which you try to avoid. But um, some bark. Thank you, puppy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> My dog just um, being noisy. Having yeah, <laughs> a good time. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right, that's um, <laughs> well, I'm multitasking uh, here. My puppy woke up from napping, so I'm. Oh, Got the phone in my okay. pocket, my headphones on, and we're walking out hoping somebody's going to potty, but <laughs> she just wants to play now. <laughs> yeah, we need, uh, we need okay. a live dog in on our, our uh, thing. So, <laughs> But um, anyway, my point is, once because you're supposed to be proficient on land before you get in the boat, well, if they're already accustomed to sitting or downing or whatever, then that's what they're going to try to do in the boat. Uh, mm-hmm. but, Again, not necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. I've had what I try to do when I'm training. I start out a puppy or start out an older dog on the cadaver stuff. I try to take what's natural for them, their mm-hmm. natural indication. If they just naturally see it, then that's what I go with. I don't try to change mm-hmm. that because it's mm-hmm. easier for them, you know, to to learn that, and you're not confusing them with something else. Uh, there's already too much other things to to work on besides uh, mm-hmm. an alert. Um, if they paw, then, you know, that's what we go with. So, um, But like I say, depending on the source, you might get a lick on mm-hmm. something. You might get uh touch it with a paw. You might get, like I said, they won't even go up to it. Uh, mm-hmm. They might do their normal sit or whatever they do. So... Mm-hmm. If you're not able to read that dog, then you're in trouble. You need mm-hmm. to go home <laughs> and learn to read your dog. Mm-hmm. So, and if and you're, yeah, go ahead. Well, if you're, well, I was just going to say that's where flankers come in good too, because they yeah. can, if that flanker knows your dog, they can mm-hmm. sometimes catch something that you miss. Mm-hmm. So flankers are very important. Yeah. Go ahead. And, and if you're on flat water, what about, um, you know, I've heard somebody say, well, you know, if you're searching flat water, it's kind of like putting your dog in a wheelbarrow on land and then trying to cover the search area that way, you know, the boat being your wheelbarrow. So are there any special tips for gridding um, or, you know, what pattern you would work when you're on water and, and staying on course? So I guess, you know, you mentioned you, the number one for staying on course is having a good, somebody who's proficient at operating the boat <laughs> yeah that helps but you're also directing them so um yeah so yeah you need to be able to and what i do is is i might i i do a zigzag pattern um mm-hmm. i'll i'll go assess the situation and look at the you know the water and how it's doing i'll get all my information where was the point last seen um blah 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 and then i'll get me a section and i'll start and i'll do like a square, if it's a, a huge open body of water, then I do like a square. Mm-hmm. But that's another way, if you 
if you can read your dog, he tells you when you're out of scent. He tells you when mm-hmm. you're in it and when you're out of it. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll do the zigzag into the the wind or the current, whichever comes first. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're different, like I said. And then I'll turn mm-hmm. around and I'll go back the other direction, or I may go uh, crossways. If the yeah. wind changes, I'll change with the wind uh, mm-hmm. a lot of times. So I may have four or five different uh, directions going, but I want to mm-hmm. make sure that I cover that. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. uh, and your dog, like I say, will let you know when you're in or out. So if you can, you know, calculate that, um, mm-hmm. and then he'll do his indication. Uh, you mm-hmm. should, you know, pretty much be able to to read that. Uh, mm-hmm. On a river, I go from bank to bank, depending on how huge the river is. Now, mm-hmm. I did work the Mississippi River one time, and no, we didn't do bank to bank by any means. That's a huge river, <laughs> yeah. huge river. And um, anyway, that that's another story I'll tell you sometime. That was quite comical, but. Um, <laughs> Well, my driver is what I was when we were talking about drivers a while ago. He he was a different case. So anyway, um, but get you a like we were working around a bridge on the Mississippi. So I had okay, let's start at this column here, go to this column here, and that's how I divided it out. So you can you can pick things out on um, mm-hmm. shore to to help mark you know, where you start and where you end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. But again, so, if you can read your dog, he's going to tell you what you're doing. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, one of the questions I had, I think you already covered, um, was, you know, if you're going to put a buoy out to mark mark a uh, spot, um, you know, this article I read said, well, you know, that buoy might have scent on it and the dog might alert. But you gave even the better thing it, it, answer is that you also might um, sway the handler. So um, so you're saying really avoid putting out a buoy until all the dogs yes. have worked the area. Definitely. Well, okay. it's so easy. You know, humans are, are a basket case when it comes to to um, learning things. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, I, they are. They're, I train dogs professionally for a living. And I have more trouble with my handlers than I do the dogs. You know, I get that dog, and everybody's like, well, why does he do it for you and he won't for me? And I'm like, uh, let's see, where would that problem be? You know, <laughs> could it be the handler? And, that, you know, most most of the errors made are handler errors. And it's so easy to try to be the dog. Um, yeah. So, so easy to try to be the dog. Um, yeah. I'm I still do that every once in a while. I try my darkness not to, but it's, uh, especially on land cadaver. I just, wow, it can't be over there. <laughs> it's got to be over here. Well, no, it was over there, wasn't it? I'll be darned. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but the, the thing is not necessarily the scent coming up, you know, because you want to find the scent. It's it's mm-hmm. putting ideas in your head. Like if I come tell you, okay, my, my dog alerted exactly right here, you're going to go, okay, so it's got to be here, and mm-hmm. uh, okay, let's see, how can I get my dog to to actually alert here, because I know hers did, and, <laughs> you know, I've seen people do that, and uh, I believe it. it's just, oh, yeah, it's just, 
not good at all. So if you go out with a clean slate, if everybody has a clean slate, mm-hmm. then you can't do that. You know, we you can actually see what your dog is doing. Mm-hmm. So and okay. you can't, another thing, let me add this right quick. You know, you get on scene and you've got your eyewitnesses, and even though they mean well and they actually thoroughly believe that they're telling you where they saw that uh, person go down, Right. Nine times out of ten, they were way off. Yeah. Um, yeah. The perspective, yeah. you know, looking out is it changes, and so don't get tunnel focused on that either. And yeah, that, that, just over and over. Of, like my next question, I think you know, I'm not sure I believe it because otherwise it would be pretty easy. Is it said, you know, as a rule of thumb, the drowning victim will be found within a circle whose radius is about equal to the water's depth, but it sounds Which, like. Well, no, it, a pop, the, the realistic part of that is, yes, but the, the the problem is exactly where did that person start going right. down. Exactly. See, that's your problem. It's not exactly. that he's not going to be within that radius because what they normally do is they drop, you drop down a foot to each horizontal foot that you travel. Okay. So if, if the... The water is 30 feet deep. They're going to be pretty much within a 30-foot circumference. That's where they went down. Where where that spot was? Yes, that's the problem. (laughs) Finding where that spot was. So, um, and and does a body that sinks always rise up and float to the surface? Um, no. You have um. (laughs) Let's see, where, let me get my thing turned down. Okay. There's two different types of drownings to begin with, and a lot of people don't, you know, understand this. Um, me being in a corner kind of helps a little bit, but there's a wet drowning and a, and a dry drowning, and then there's cardiac arrest. Um, on your wet drowning, that's somebody that actually got into the water, got in trouble, uh, you know, started sinking and you get to the point where you can only hold your breath for so long and then you have to take a breath and that's when they gasp all the the water into the lungs when the water fills those lungs then you sink and that's another misconception that a lot of people have is when that body sinks if they're in uh, like a current uh, like the river or whatever people think that they've just gone on down river well, no, they haven't. They've um, they've done that little sink thing like we were talking about a while ago, the little foot per foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And they will remain on the bottom until either they gas up and float mm-hmm. or somebody removes them from the bottom or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then you have your dry drowning. That is where you get just a little bit of water, like you're swimming and you... Uh, just get a little bit of water in your lungs or you breathe a little bit, it will actually cause your um, larynx to spasm, which shuts off your airway. It can be bad enough that it will not open. Um, And then, so that way when you you die is what happens. I mean, it shuts your air off. But you have air in your lungs. Your your air cannot, you know, escape, and you can't get any in. So your lungs are still full, and therefore mm-hmm. you might not sink 
because you're buoyancy. Another thing is that happens is somebody has a cardiac arrest and they're fighting. Well, they actually get water in their lungs because they're, you know, gasping for air because of the cardiac arrest. This usually happens in like very cold water, mm-hmm. um, ice water, whatever. Um, it um, you hit that water and it uh, generates a signal to your heart and it attacks and mm-hmm. you know ha- you have a heart attack. So uh, a lot of times bodies have been uh, diagnosed as drowning when actually they had a, a cardiac arrest mm-hmm. um, and they're not filling their lungs with water because they have actually died before that happened. Mm-hmm. So pro- the process of getting water in the lungs doesn't happen unless uh, your body causes it to. And if your body's dead, it can't cause it to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's three different uh, scenarios there, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about, now, when you, you know, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and two, on a body rising, it can hang up on something like a brush pile underneath uh, mm-hmm. and get hung up and not come up. Um, if it has, um, say, wounds in it that could actually fill the the cavity up with water, that would hold it down, you know, before it went in. Um, and then two... A body, if it surfaces and nobody detects it while it's up, it will actually bust and go back down and never come back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's that critical period too. And, and they always, like I say, they always move when you're searching. You really need to search the shores, um, yeah. the banks of the, the water, because they always uh, thrive for calm waters for some reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the lakes where I live are so deep that they don't completely turn over. Like most um, bodies of water, the cold water kind of sinks down to the bottom, and then in the spring when it warms, it's rising back up. But there's some lakes here that are just so so deep that doesn't happen. So if you well, I've got, sink well, to the bottom of those. Yeah, once they reach, um, I think it's like 130 or 160 feet, uh, the water mm-hmm. pressure will not let them come back up either, uh, and mm-hmm. the cold will keep them down. Um, I've got the the deepest that we ever uh, located one was 160 feet down um, okay. in a lake, and he's still in there. Um, yeah, I just he. Uh, you have to have special my, divers for one to yeah. go down. And my, then, com- uh, my computer here that uh, Skinny Atlas Lake, which is near me, is. 315 feet deepest at the deepest part. Seneca Lake is 617 feet. <laughs> Cayuga Lake, 435 yeah. feet. So they, there's some deep lakes here. <laughs> you don't realize when you're looking on the shore at them. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I think the deepest at this lake is 200, but that's mm-hmm. that's deep for around here, and mm-hmm. and it's very you know cold and um, and he worked it so so different. That was the first super deep lake I had worked and uh, like I say you know if you expect the norm it's going to bite you because I'm like what are you doing (laughs) and And then he would (laughs) and when it was all said and done 
he come out to a point, and there he was, 160 feet below that point. Wow. And I was like, oh, now I see what you're doing. <laughs> but I couldn't see it while we were doing it. I'm like, you're making me look like an idiot. Stop. <laughs> so, you know, we, you know, backing up to talk a little bit about divers, I guess there's two aspects. One, should you train with a diver? And two, what do you need to do if you're, you know, obviously you have divers out yes. and you're working. So and you said that you prefer not using divers to train your dog. Um, so can you explain exactly. why? Well, I have seen many times, um, and I've actually had my dog in a boat with divers before, and it was only a one-time deal, and I was through mm-hmm. with that. Here, you know, here your dog's calmly riding in this boat, uh, looking for something, and this thing pops up right in front mm-hmm. of them. And you know, they're pretty monstrous looking with all their gear and stuff <laughs> on. And, and some dogs are traumatized by that. I've had dogs wash out, not my personally, but I've had friends that, um, a couple of them, that they, uh, one almost had to wash her dog because of it on the water, oh, and one did. Uh, it just traumatized that dog so bad. One, yeah. Another aspect that I look at, I'm not training my dog to wait for this monster to pop up and give me a cookie. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're out there for. That's another visual thing. You know, he's sitting there waiting on the visual something to happen, and mm-hmm. that's not, you know. And I I know that the ones that are doing this keep saying that they're training their dog that on a fresh drowned cadaver mm-hmm. that they're gonna have the live scent, and that's what they're training them to look for. Well, within thirty minutes. Your stomach immediately, actually, when you die, your stomach starts eating itself and it's putting off gases. Mm-hmm. So you it immediately is. got your cadaver scent yeah. um, already there. And that's what you're training on. So yeah. I just don't do the diver thing. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sorry, even on well, land, I train with as fresh of stuff as I can. Mm-hmm. So that plays over to your water. You know, it's going to be by the time somebody drowns and by the time law enforcement gets there and they get all their resources gathered up and, and you get deployed the next day or whenever you get deployed, because uh, mm-hmm. it's not usually right then with everybody else, you know how the dog thing goes, um, mm-hmm. you're going to have cadaver scent coming up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I I just don't want to take a chance on my dog getting traumatized and and expecting the cookie to pop up out of the water. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. Um, I went to a conference once where they had sort of like an introduction to water search, and they were using divers, and we never got as far as getting traumatized because like you talked about distractions on shore. Well, my dog was young. He's a border collie. And, you know, we went out. He's not really keen. He's never been keen on riding the boat. He was not thrilled with the boat, but there were some people on shore that were not part, you know, it was a public beach. There were some people playing catch with a tennis ball. So forget it. Mm. He was just interested in watching a tennis ball. And, (laughs) you know, he was willing to ride on a boat if he could see a tennis ball. But uh, he, he would not make a good water search dog because 
his attitude is, you know, votes are for someone else, not for him. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, unlike a dog I used to own with a little tiny Cairn Terrier, like Toto and the Wizard of Oz, and she'd uh-huh. canoe with us, and she'd insist on standing on the bow of that boat, and every time a wave hit, she'd get knocked off, and she'd just oh. pull her back on, and she'd go right back up there. <laughs> like, <we'll figure> <laughs> So oh, do you do anything... <laughs> Do you do anything special for keeping records, uh, you know, your training records? Or just keep a I notebook do, and write everything down? Yeah, I do keep a log book. Um, you know, I keep all the weather at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I take all my weather conditions before I start, and then mm-hmm. every couple of hours I'll refresh it because um, mm-hmm. things change, you know, during the day. And um, sometimes I'll draw maps. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, what I've done, what the dogs have done and everything. And then if at all possible, especially on my training, um, I take videos. And then that way you can go back and, and uh, watch your dog. Because when oh, that's you're, a great idea. Actually, yeah. yeah, when you're training, you know, it's so hard to see the whole picture. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's where the flankers come in. But if you do that video thing, um, you know, it, that's just awesome. And then you can go back later even and see compare it to something else mm-hmm. um but you can actually watch your mistakes or your was. yeah do you have any suggestions like say somebody listened to this and said you know i really like to get into water search are there any books videos other resources um, that you recommend there's several books out there in you know, what I suggest is whatever you, I mean, you can Google that, but mm-hmm. whatever you, um, whatever you do, just remember that whoever has written that is their experience um, mm-hmm. and that it's not set in concrete and that's not what you have to do. These are suggestions. Mm-hmm. Um, see if they work for you. If not, then, you know, try something else. Um, there's, um, you know, a lot of good handlers out there. Call somebody um, and ask, you know, questions. You know, what would you do or how would you work this or this is what my dog did. What do you think or something. Um, just get different ideas and uh, keep your notes, mm-hmm. you know, what you're doing. And, uh, and then you can compare. I don't have specific books um i'm i've mainly done trial and error <laughs> through the mm-hmm. years you know because i've been doing this for 20 something years now and uh just kind of like don't just, overthink it just get out and right try. exactly <laughs> get <to> work. <laughs> and, you know <laughs> and you know i do things way different than when i first started because i've mm-hmm. learned through the years things that just work better uh, have a better outcome doing it a different way. It might work that way that, that I started out, but yet it's a better outcome to do the, the way I do it today. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I say, unless you make those mistakes, it's hard to to learn because you learn from mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but admit your mistakes too. Don't, don't be so egoist that you know that your mm-hmm. dog never makes a mistake because they will. Um, and like I say, mostly it's the the handler that, that makes the mistakes. But yeah. if you learn to, you know, the main thing is is learning to read your dog. And um, if you can 
if you can get someone, and that's another thing that a flanker is good for. Um, the flanker sees the whole picture. You're just tunnel focused on your dog, and you can't see what caused him to do that or whatever. Um, get someone to to go with you, and um, maybe a trained, you know, um, water handler, water dog handler, and let them tell you. I like to do this when I'm helping train somebody. I'll run along with them and tell them every move that dog is making as he's making it. Mm-hmm. And then that way they could actually put that together. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a girl want to quit trailing one time with a wonderful bloodhound because she thought the dog wasn't working. But once mm-hmm. I ran with her and gave her everything mm-hmm. that, that dog was doing, then oh, she was happy as a lark. You know, because she can uh-huh. tell that he really was actually doing things. She just didn't know how to read him. Yeah. <laughs> well, so. you can hear, you can hear my can. dog <laughs> found a squeak toy. That's a puppy. <laughs> so that's kind of <laughs> that's something I'm looking forward to is, you know, my older dog, his certification has expired. The younger one's just a baby puppy, but I know I can be a great planker. From having there you go. Hey, okay. they're very important. <laughs> Very important people. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for talking, and um, I really appreciate you being interviewed for the podcast. Well, you're very welcome, and I hope you know if we can just help one person, that's <laughs> it's worth it. All right. So I'm going to now hit a button that ends the recording. Let's see. All right. Let's see. Come on, computer. All right. It doesn't want to. It doesn't want to end. There we go. Uh oh. Hopefully it recorded all that. It says it's recording. So let me see what we have here. What we have is I hit terminate. Terminate. End. Well, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I'm hitting this button and I'm clicking on it. Unless I. No, my little arrow's pointing on it. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed that that all recorded when I did Because we don't have to do this again. Let's see, the call has started. Let's see. Let's refresh uh, refresh this one and see. Your session timed out, but not that session. It's got like two places. uh, All righty. Let's go to my talk show. See what it says. And live now, it just says start call. Yeah. The court recording has started. Retrieving call info. And let's see if I can end now. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.